Next step number 717, March 3rd, 2022. Hi there, this is Susie from In His Shoes Ministries. Thanks for tuning into the next step with Father Vodskan. We are the voice of Armadoxy, a weekly podcast started in 2008 that looks at life through the lens of Armenian Orthodoxy. If you're joining us for the first time, we're so glad you're here. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. In these weekly episodes, you will find that Father Vosgen's messages are timely, thought-provoking, and based on the solid principles of Christ's love, faith, and hope. Now, let's get ready to take the next step. Listen, listen really carefully. You can hear him. Hear the dogs barking? Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Let's go back into the soundproof area. Oh, they are just so loud. And they drive me crazy. The dogs barking. Do you know that there's an expression in Armenian? Shuna gahache karevana gakale. The dogs bark. And the caravan keeps going. And the caravan is on its way. I can hear the merry gypsy play. Mama, mama, I look at Yes, it's an expression that people make noise. But you keep doing your business. You keep doing your work. The dogs bark, the dogs howl. They're out there. Anything unusual, they're going to be barking about it. But that's all it is. It's a bark. And the caravan keeps going. It keeps going despite all the barking. Well, this little truth is being played out on the world stage once again. Once again right now, right? The world is barking. Everybody's barking. Putin, you've got to stop this war. The caravan just continues. The war's continuing. Here we are, the first week. By the time you're listening to this, it'll be well into the 10th, 11th day of the war in the Ukraine. And it's it's really one of those sad realities when you start looking at the facts around it and our reaction to it, that really we don't have anything else to do but to bark. That's all we can do. Short of getting up and, you know, killing a few people. You know, I've thrown out that hypothetical question several times. If you were around the day before Tailat Pasha ordered the extermination of the Armenians, and you killed them. That'd be okay. Of course. If you were there before before Hitler went on his rampage and you could take care of him, would that be okay? And now we're seeing it unfold right in front of our eyes. This is not a war about Russia against the Ukraine. This is Putin's war. This is one man who has decided that he wants his way. 
and it doesn't matter what it costs. And everyone is like, you know, I, I talked about it last week about the the Nero and the fiddle. We're playing our fiddles. Well, everyone's now a week later into this into this war. And what are we doing? We're barking. We're barking. And the caravan, well, it's still rolling. It's still going by. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Because for me, this has been a very big wake-up call, and I, I think for a lot of us too, about how the world is being defined at this moment. I've shared with you in the past when one of those wake-up moments for me was in 2006, going into Rwanda and spending time at the museum uh, for the genocide, the Genocide Museum in Rwanda, and having one of the docents come up to me when I was just overwhelmed, overwhelmed with emotions and looking at these pictures, and she asked me, she said, oh, why are you why are you crying? Why are you grieving this way? And I said, because my parents were genocide survivors. And when she turned to me and she said, which genocide? It was like a slap in the face. What are we talking about? Here we are in the 21st century and we're still saying, which genocide? Like, shouldn't it, shouldn't it have been a singular event? Well, we know it wasn't, right? Just 15 years after the Armenian Genocide, you have Adolf Hitler saying, who remembers the annihilation of the Armenians? Here it is, 15 years, that's all, 1938, when Adolf Hitler said that before going into Poland. You know, don't worry about it. Who remembers the Armenians? And then since then, we, we saw Cambodia, Pol Pot, since then, we saw Bosnia, we saw Rwanda, Ethiopia, yeah, one right after the other. And then Darfur. And all being identified as genocide. It's like a slap in the face. Wake up! Wake up! What are you talking about, genocide? The recognition talking about the theoretical, the parameters of genocide, the eight steps of genocide. We see it, we know it, we study it, and yet it takes place. And there are people that are just, people who are committing these crimes against humanity, and you get up and you slap them. You bark at them. You say, no, don't do it. It's wrong to do it, but they do it. They do it, right? Yeah, we try to we try to control it. We have all kinds of like these civil ways of talking about it. But these are not civil people. Civil comes from the word from civics, organized, the government, these small little enclaves, these cities. In Armenian it's, it's so clear. There are two um uh, two expressions. Karakavar, karak comes from civilized means from from the city, Karak, from the city. In other words, you know how to deal with people. Ankarakabad is you don't know how to deal with people. You are uncivilized. You are not from the city. Well, we try to play the game out, right? Like everyone's going to go by the city rules. By what civilization, by what society says is right and wrong. These people don't care. 
The dogs are barking and saying, hey, stay in line. We have the United Nations. What is that? But a big dog bark. At someone like Putin who's looking and saying, I'm carrying the caravan straight through. I'm going to take it right through. And the war continues. The war continues and people are dying. And then they start qualifying it. Well, there are innocent lives being lost. Let me ask you, which life isn't innocent? I mean, we have ways of justifying death, you know? Like, it's okay to hit military targets. What about those young men? What about those young women who are standing there? You mean their lives are different from everybody else's life? Well, it is a strategy of war, and it's the other slap in the face. Wake up. Wake up. This is the 21st century, and we are still solving our problems with guns, with weapons, with power, with bombs, and with killing. And then you got us in one corner, right? Talking about, oh, you fight fire, not with more fire, but with water. We need to start talking a good talk. We need to start talking about instruments of peace. How do you do that? How do you do that when they're firing at you from all sides? I mean, this is a really wake-up call to every everybody that our world is not playing by standards which we should have figured we would have learned by now. Like after World War II, you would have thought that, okay, people, we'd get it straight. But you know what? What's going on in Ukraine is nothing new since World War II. It just happens to be a very populated country. There's 40 million people in that country, and they have gotten the attention, the world attention. But these kind of battles are going on all around us. In fact, just last year, in Armenia, nobody cared because they were a small, tiny group of people. Tiny group of people. And by the way, you know, you'd look at who the players were in that one. You've got the Turks, you've got the Russians, and you've got the French. You've got peripherally the NATOs, the, the Americans who want to appease the small minority of voters and say, oh yeah, we care about this. But in the end, the dog barks all you want. And the caravan continues. The caravan of death. You got someone like Father Voskin getting up and talking about, like, we have to create a language of peace. You've got a John Lennon who says, imagine there is no possession. Imagine there are no borders. Imagine there's no heaven. Anything that could separate us. We are all one. And then you realize, yeah, imagine. We imagine it. That's it. We hear Jesus' words, blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers. In other words, it's something that you should achieve to be. You want to be a peacemaker, and yet it's like dogs barking. The dog barks, it howls, and the caravan still continues. It's not stopping. I see it every single day. We've got a couple crazy dogs that are just sitting here looking out at the at the street, and every time another dog, another person walks by, they're barking away. But they just keep going, right? And it reminds me of what's happening today 
in the Ukraine. Putin's getting away with everything. You've got the United Nations saying something. You've got President Biden saying something, the, the only superpower in the world talking. You've got France, you've got England, you've got something like 30 different nations that are now lined up in solidarity with the Ukraine, with the Ukrainian people. Okay? And what's what's going on? You've got millions of others who are showing solidarity. Oh yeah, yeah. We changed we changed the cover of my Facebook page so that it has the blue and yellow or blue and gold. So they don't think it's UCLA, but they know that it is it, it is the Ukraine that we're standing with. And now I've done my bit, right? Now I've done my bit. You know what? We laugh at it. We say, oh, you're not doing anything by changing that. But what else can you do? What else can you do? And that is the big wake-up call. That we talk a good talk, but at the end of the day, what more can you do? There are people who say that we got to do political action. There's people who say we need military action. And you've got your church group saying pray for that and pray. You know, this week we started Lent. And with the beginning of Lent, it's an opportunity for us to really focus in on what's important in our life. And ideally, our prayer life should also get charged up, you know, so that we're not superficially praying. By that, I mean just talking words, but actually living it and meaning it. And, you know, this week, it it was interesting because with the backdrop of what's going on in the Ukraine, Lent began, and it gave me a chance to really think about what we're going to be putting out there. Every year, I put out a Lenten message. I do 40 days of Lent, and I share. This year, I didn't do it. Not because I didn't want to. I really, really sincerely wanted to do one. A Lenten journey. And I'll, I'm going to put a link on today's show notes because some of you have asked if we're going to have that uh, this year. No, we're not going to have one. I'll put a link on today's show notes. So, And I would highly suggest that you take advantage of one of our previous year Lenten journeys. They're 40-day lessons. And not because I produce them, but I, I sincerely believe these are so important that you get on a, a regimen of really listening to one a day. It's it's beautiful because it's a prayer, it's a reflection, and it's a it's a passage, you know. It's literally a journey and you pass through this Lenten period. So as I was preparing myself for this Lenten season and thinking about a Lenten journey and a topic and everything, of course, I prayed. And I pray about it. And, you know, for me, it's it's important when I pray the Lord's Prayer, it's important for me to hear the words that I'm saying, not just recite them, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, but to actually listen to what's being said. Because often in ritualized prayer, you you have a tendency to just repeat it as a recitation rather than something with meaning. And so... This year, as I was preparing for the Lenten season and Lenten journey, as I went into prayer, I also read the passage that came as a preface to the Lord's Prayer. It comes to us from Matthew chapter 6. 
And something very profound, a profound revelation, like hit me. It was in these words that are a preface to the Lord's Prayer. It's Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Before he offers, this is how you should pray. He says, he says, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Did you catch the preface? Your father already knows what you need. Your father who is in heaven, who cares about you and knows you like no other, already knows what your needs are. And it hit me. We're praying for the Ukraine. You think God doesn't know that we want peace? You think God doesn't know and he's going to listen to us and say, okay, let there be peace. No, this is about listening ourselves to these words. Your father already knows what your needs are. God already knows our needs. But do we know them? And so I want to challenge you today. Yeah, don't wait. Don't put it off. Today, we're in Lent. I want you to do this, okay? Humor me. Do it. (laughs) I want you to recite the Lord's Prayer, thinking about the meaning of the words, each of the words, the phrases. But even more than that, before you start your prayer, I want you to read that preface line. Do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. As you're doing the Lord's Prayer, what I'd like you to do is get it in your head that God already knows what your needs are. He already knows that your aunt needs a kidney transplant. He already knows that your father's business isn't doing well. He already knows that your children are having difficulties. He knows those things, okay? And with the knowledge of him knowing, then offer your prayer. I'll tell you something. It was very different for me this week because I was praying for the Ukraine and, and the Ukrainians. And it occurred to me, you think God doesn't already know that we need peace in the Ukraine? Of course he knows. So what am I praying for? What am I praying for? And then I said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And all of a sudden, each of those words had a different meaning. So I'm challenging you, okay? Take that challenge. I hope you'll do it. And I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what you think. Let me know what came out from your heart in that very special prayer life. We're going to take a break right now, as we do every week. We're going to play a song of the day, and I think you'll understand why I picked this one. Our name. 
Zikoye arkayutun yev zorutun yev park havidianas havidenits amen Ortnyalt yegrukishrat serpokvoin Yertaik hahahutyamp yev der hisus yegitian tsez antamenesyanset amen Well, very appropriate for the subject, right? The Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. In Armenian, Hairmer for Herginus, yes. That is the St. Gregory Armenian Church Youth Choir produced in 2002 under the direction of Dr. Nubar Setian. We produced that while I was the pastor at the St. Gregory Church, kind of to showcase that everybody was talking about like uh, young people aren't interested in our church. We actually had just the opposite (laughs) true at that church. We'd had these wild, wild events where we'd have young people participating in church and so much so that we created this album. We had a little bit of time to go out into the into a studio, and I, I can't remember all the dimensions of it, but I think the studio time was uh, donated to us. The first run of CDs were printed as a donation. We may, It was so popular that we ran out. We had to order more CDs, which we paid for from the donations that we got from people buying or, or listening to this beautiful CD. And believe it or not, up until today, I will walk into some of these retirement homes, into these convalescent homes, especially here in Glendale, where there is such a large Armenian presence there. And uh, people will come up to me and say, you know, thank you. Every Sunday morning, the nurses put that CD on and we hear your choir. We hear your voice. We hear the prayers that are offered by these children. So it's it's very fulfilling in that manner too. That is called Focused Vision, a name we came up with because when you focus your vision on the Holy Divine Liturgy, the Badarak, everything else falls into place. This first week of Lent has been filled with opportunities to share some ideas, and all of them include a, a, a section where we reflect on what's going on in Ukraine. And I think it's in, it's imperative so that we don't lose our humanity, our, our humanness, uh, that we always, always, in everything we do at this point, to include the Ukrainian people, to talk about Ukraine, talk about what's going on over there. It's very, very important because it's more than just changing your Facebook page. It's more than just saying, I'm going to pray, but actually living that prayer out with your, your life and taking some time out to discuss it. And so it was uh, this Wednesday morning, uh, yesterday morning, we had the women's prayer day. And I was invited to be the speaker to talk about loss and resilience. And the the topic was given to me well before the Ukraine was it, it was was invaded, far before there was a discussion about the war. And I was contemplating in what manner to take this loss and resilience, thinking that yes, I would talk about what happened in Armenia, especially the great the great loss that we we suffered last year 
at the hands of the Azeris and the Turks. And uh, then, of course, Ukraine, the invasion of Ukraine happened, and the world conversation was about that. And here I have to speak about loss and resilience. And what I thought I'd do is share with you the ideas so you see what's involved in the thought process of how you get to a point of discussing these these talks. So first of all, let's talk about what loss and what resilience is. I think loss, we can all understand what loss is. There's all kinds of manner of loss. There's, uh, of course, physical loss. There's loss of life loss of body, loss of health, loss of relationships, loss of finances. I mean, you name it, it's there. Uh, we've been studying Desmond Tutu in our Bible study group this past several weeks now. And he had an interesting statement uh, that he made. He says, we all experience pain. This is inescapable part of being human, hurt. Insult, harm, and loss are inevitable aspects of our lives. So there you have it. This is what we're talking about when we talk about loss, hurt, insult, harm. These are all part of what we're discussing as as loss. We've lost something. Tutu continues to say, psychology calls it trauma, and it often leaves deep scars on our souls. However, it is not the trauma itself that defines us. It is the meaning we make out of our experiences that defines both who we are and who we ultimately become. Let me repeat that last part. It is the meaning we make of our experiences that defines both who we are and who we ultimately become. So herein you have the the beginnings of the argument for resilience. If there's going to be loss, we've got to talk also about resilience. Now, I had a difficult part in preparing for my speech. I had a little difficulty in kind of understanding this word resilience, especially when I was doing the Armenian translation for this. Because resilience means, well, literally it means that elasticity, to have that flexibility. And that elasticity is what allows you to, like like a spring, you know, like when you go down or like a ball, you hit the ground and you pop back up, right? That's the elasticity. But that's also what resilience is. It means coming back after the loss. You've lost everything. Now, how do you come back? How are you able to look at the world again, renewed, and ready to take it on. It's difficult. It's difficult. And that's what we talk about when we talk about resilience. Is it something that we have inside of us? Is it possible? Can everyone be resilient? So that was my task. My task was to talk about loss and resilience. And especially in a day and age like today where we're seeing pictures of Ukraine, seeing loss so incredible. And the, the question comes up, will we be able to stand up? Will we be able to stand up again? Will the Ukrainian people be able to stand up in the face of this horrible, horrible um, experience of war? Well, and then you look at what we've done as Armenians in the face of all kinds of 
predators, barbarians coming into the land, raping and pillaging lives as well as, as, as landscape. And what has happened to us? We've been resilient. We've been able to pop back up. That's what resilience is. It's that flexibility in Armenian Jugun to be able to be flexible, to stand up again. And if you think about it, that's really what defines us as who we are, our ability to stand up. Nelson Mandela, again, same era we're talking about, Desmond Tutu. Let's take a look at what Nelson Mandela said. And this is one of those popular quotes that you see here and there, especially in the business world. Do not judge me by my success. Judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up. Don't judge me by my success. You call me successful. No, judge me by how many times I've fallen down and I've gotten back up. That's resilience, okay? So resilience, um, you, you know, it's, it's common throughout the Bible. Throughout the entire Bible, you have instances about pressing on, for instance. St. Paul writes about it uh, in Philippians, uh, about pressing on, overcoming hardships and temptations in Romans. In, uh, in James, the apostle writes, uh, preserve, how, to, how to persevere in the face of trials. And, of course, uh, throughout the entire scriptures, Joseph, Moses, all these characters, they are all they are all known by their resilience. They've all fallen and they've all stood up. And, in fact, um, the book of Proverbs, uh, Solomon, the book of Proverbs says, Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Righteous people fall seven times, but they rise again. But the wicked ones, these are the people that have a difficult time because they stumble when calamity falls. It kind of plays it up the other way, doesn't it? Like, not about how you deal with life, but are you good or bad? And that'll decide how you end up. But but think about it in terms of the examples that are given throughout Scripture and then the Proverbs defining that, defining those examples in people. So throughout Scripture, you find these stories of resilience. In fact, during the Lenten period, you know that each Sunday of Lent is has a unique name. And if you think about it, Every story during the Lenten season, every Sunday is dedicated to this concept of resilience, whether it's the first one, expulsion from paradise, we are expelled, the resilience with which we come back in, the prodigal son, the story of the the dishonest steward, the unjust judge. You say, well, he's no, it's not about him, but think about the resilience of the woman. This is Luke chapter 13, chapter 18, excuse me, who the resilience of the woman who gets turned down constantly but keeps coming back. That's resilience, right? All the way to Advent and Palm Sunday. It's all about return, it's all about popping back up, and you find that. But listen to this every Sunday. In the Armenian Church, there is a custom of remembering the dead called Hokianquist. And the gospel that is read at every Hokianquist of remembering the past is one about resilience, but a little bit different. 
He says, it's uh, John chapter 12, verses 24 and on. He says, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it does die, it produces much harvest. So think about it. The loss is the seed dying. Think about it. The resilience is the seed blossoming, producing more wheat, more seeds, more kernels, right? That's resilience. Now, Here's the question. This is wild, okay? Where is that resilience in the seed? In people, you could say it's in their attitude with the way they deal with life. But in the seed, where is it? It's programmed into the seed. It's programmed from, from the beginning, right? It's programmed in the seed. The seed knows that it has to fall, it has to die, and when it dies, there will be a new life that comes out of it, and from that life will be produced more seeds, more flowers, more blossoms, more wheat, whatever it is. Where is that resilience to come back from the dead? It's programmed in it. Now, Jesus says in no uncertain terms, you are worth more than the lilies of the field. You are worth more than them to God. You have been created in his image. You are more, you're worth more than the lilies of the field. So don't you think that you're programmed also for that resilience? Ah, yeah, that's right. We are. We are programmed. We do have that within us. We have that ability to, to spring back up. In fact, if you think about the Bible, what is the Bible? It's one book. It's not a collection of books. It's one book. It's one story from the beginning of time to the end about God's love for us. It's about us failing and God loving us so much that he's given us the laws, the prophet, and he gave us his son so that we can pop back up, so that we can resurrect even from the dead. The Bible itself in its entirety is one book of resilience. Jesus Christ is at the center of that resilience. That's what's so important to remember. During the d Divine Liturgy of the Armenian Church, the celebrant, in preparing the gifts to become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. He says, he remembers in a prayer, he says, from the very beginning, you, God, did care for us who had fallen into sin, and you comforted us in diverse manners. You gave us the prophets, the law, the priesthood, and even sacrificing, animal sacrifices. But at the end of time, what did you do? You gave us your beloved son, and Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of those laws and prophets. He is the key to resilience. And in the face of loss, in the face of death, to see the seed flowering is that resurrection. Now remember what we said. Don't judge me by my success. Judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up. This is the power that is given to us as Christian that has been programmed inside each and every one of us.
when you look at and and I made a point of saying that this is all in the Bible. You see it as part of the the stories that come out, but don't look too far. The story of the Armenian people is something incredible where there is loss and despite that loss we've popped back up. We've been resilient. And I think there's no other story that, at least in my mind, that demonstrates this than the one that my grandmother shared with me. God rest her soul. She was a genocide survivor. She survived genocide, and at a very tender, tender young age, she had two children from her husband who was taken away by the Turks. She saw her father taken away by the Turks, killed, executed, and her and her sisters and two infant brothers were sent out, exiled from their own home. And during their exile, as she's going through the desert, she's leaving. Her One of her ch- child, which would be my father's brother, come, contracts, uh, I, th- I think it was malaria one of these horrendous diseases, and he he succumbs to it and dies at the age of two. And I want you to just think about my grandmother, this, this not old lady, but a young lady, starting off her life, losing her father, losing her husband. And there she is on that road with these two children and this little baby in her arms who now she's got to figure out not how to feed, but where to put him what grave do I put him in? He's he's dead. And she recounted to me this horrible, horrible story that we only understand peripherally because it's just like a, a story. She actually lives it. And as she's telling me this story, she says, I had lost everything. And it was at that point that I got on my knees and I prayed. And I asked God, I said, you, every, you've, I've lost everything. You've taken everything. He says, the only thing that I wish that you would not take and I pray for is don't take away my mind. Don't take away my mind. And she prays this prayer of St. Nersa Shnorali. Jesus, wisdom of the Father, grant me wisdom so that I may speak Think, speak, and do which is good in your sight. Save me from evil thoughts and deeds, and have mercy on all your creatures and on me, a sinner. And she said she prayed this. And this simple little prayer, God who knows what we need, this simple prayer was her request. The wisdom, but not just any wisdom, not just a book of facts, a book of Proverbs, but wisdom, Jesus' wisdom of the Father. There is only one wisdom, and that is Jesus, who lives that life. And so I was talking about how do you turn on the switch if we are programmed within us to be resilient. Where's that switch? There it is. It's Jesus. To turn on that switch, to be resilient against all kinds of 
losses that we suffer in our lives. And this went on to, because she turned on the switch, she was able to get on from that uh, horrible, horrible exile to Greece, from Greece to France, from France to America, to New York, from New York, clear across the country. But I don't know how. I don't know by what means. If There's so many questions that as a kid we don't ask. Like, how did you get there from there? What boat did you did, did you come on? What? How did you get across country? You know, this is like we're talking about the 1930s. But they did it. Where did you get the money to do that? How did you do that? But they did it. The resilience. Jesus' wisdom of the Father. And this is really what comes to us. And I'm, I'm going to give you a second challenge today. I gave you the first one during the first half. This is the second chance. Challenge, which I give it to you as a chance to try it out during the Lenten season. Find that button inside of you. Find that resilience. What is it that's preventing you from being resilient, from standing up, even when you've fallen? And know that you are programmed to be like that seed. You have the programming inside of the seed. You have a program inside of you. That all it needs to be done is to be run. That program needs, you need somebody to press that button and say, okay, let's get it moving. Let's make the program run. Much like an app on your phone, right? It's there. It's in the menu. But until you press it, it's not going to activate. Let's go ahead and activate it. It's the program of resilience. And it begins with Jesus, the wisdom of the Father. Here's Susie. Back to the next step with Father Vazgen, I'd like to take this opportunity to remind you that this ministry is supported through the heartfelt donations of listeners like you. Thanks for keeping us in your prayers and partnering with this expanding and dynamic outreach. The next step is entering homes and communities with a solid message proclaiming God's message of love, forgiveness, and compassion. We look forward to your comments and words of encouragement. Please consider partnering in this dynamic ministry by making a contribution. By pressing on the Donate button on our website, you can set up automatic donations, either weekly, monthly, or annually. Your donation goes a long way in furthering this ministry. Even more, tell your friends and family by sharing the Next Step link or website with them. We're on iTunes and Blueberry as well as Facebook and Twitter. We are excited about this ministry and invite you to share in our enthusiasm. This is Susie wishing you all of God's blessings in your life. We now return to the next step with Father Vosgen. Thank you, Susie. And hey, can I tell you about something really exciting that's going to be happening in just a couple weeks? March 19th. Yes, in the Western tradition, that is St. Joseph's Day. And I happen to know that for a fact. It's also the day that the swallows return to Capistrano. It also is the day for this year's Reclaim. And I'm going to invite you, no matter where you are, if you can, 
beg, buy, or steal a ticket, come out to Burbank. Come out to the Reclaim Conference. This is the sixth year we're doing it. This year it's called Reclaim Family. And especially the assaults that the family has taken. This is a time for us to stand and talk about reclaiming that family. And I hope you'll join us. Uh, It's a one-day conference. takes place from 9 in the morning till 5 in the evening. It's at the St. Leon Armenian Cathedral in beautiful Burbank, California. And I know uh, it's difficult for many people, but it's also easy for others who are in the sound of my voice. Uh, it's maybe a, a half-day trip for some people on, on by, by taking, uh, by sitting in their car and coming over. I know it's a couple hours from places like Costa Mesa and San Diego. Whatever the case it is, it's going to be a great time. We're going to be together. And it'll give you a chance to think about things that, unfortunately, we don't have often enough time to think about in the usual um, in the usual life that we lead. For instance, how to communicate within families. What does family mean to a single person? What about domestic violence? What about end-of-life decisions that we have to make that are now consuming many families, that have torn apart families? So many, so many dimensions. And I hope that you will come. You will be part of this conference. It's called Reclaim, Reclaim Family. And you can learn about it. There'll be a link on today's show notes. I ask you to click on it, take a look at it, and if you can make it down that day, please do. Join us March 19th. Well, that does it for today's show. I want to thank you for joining us and for all of your support and your love and especially for your prayers. On behalf of the wonderful team that put together today's show, Susie, our producer, and myself, Father Voskin, I look forward to seeing you again next week when we will take the next And now here's the fine print. The information and comments presented within this podcast and our website do not necessarily represent the views of the Armenian Church hierarchy, but are presented as a challenge to define the dynamics of Armenian Orthodoxy in all aspects of life. Listening to these shows is habit-forming. Addictive behavior associated with the next step is rarely, if ever, remedied. Rather, the next step is known to relieve and cure common cases of narrow-mindedness, prejudice, numbskullness, and glaucoma in patients over the age of 20. Results may vary depending on credit rating. Findings are based on double-blind studies conducted in Istanbul and Jerusalem. Side effects include mind expansion, clarity of focus, higher rates of heart palpitations, sensitivity to the pain of others, and occasional nausea. Demandment and production crew vpostle.net take full responsibility for changes you will experience. Not valid with any other offer. I forgot to ask you if uh, you're seeing the same sky as we are. Uh, Bye.